This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And welcome back to Cinema Vino. Cinema Vino. Cinema Vino. Cinema Vino. Cinema Vino. This is going to be a look at our series on Oscar snubs. Coming up to the Oscars at the end of this month, we're going to look at movies that were not nominated, great movies that were not nominated for one Oscar, for a single Oscar. So Which, I mean, the biggest Oscar snub this year is... Spider-Man No Way, no Way Home. Home. Yeah, it's obviously insulting. Yes, it was definitely better than. Some, now that I've seen them all, I can say that it's better than some of the movies that were nominated for. Best definitely picture. better than some of the movies that were nominated. Yes, absolutely. Not all of them. No, and, and I can't say that I necessarily think that. Well, it, I don't think it should win. No, it should have been nominated. It should have been given the respect of being nominated. Rude. The validation of being nominated. Yeah. That not only can comic book movies be that good, superhero movies can be that good, but Marvel movies can be that good after all the hate they've taken. Yeah. So. Yeah, but Academy, uh, give some respect to uh, these Marvel movies because that one was legit good. Yeah, I mean, Spider-Man is the pinnacle of MCU movies so far. I, I get the the complaint against uh, like big title blockbuster action movies, but like this one was legit good. I mean, I do and I don't. It's like, I mean, big title blockbuster movies, it's like there's, so they're supposed to be fun. You know, they're supposed to be enjoyable. They're supposed to be... Right, and uh, I, I've seen people complain like, "Oh, well, you know, the reward is the box office numbers that they get. It's yeah. Like they get a billion dollars. Is that not enough?" That's like, a bunch of hogwash, you know. It, it's getting a billion dollars because it's a good movie. Yeah. Fucking acknowledge that it's a good movie. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like the argument of like, well, you know, oh, these uh, Marvel movies are just comic or amusement uh, uh, park rides. Supposed they're roller coasters, you know, the Scorsese argument. Yeah, roller coasters are good. They're fun. Not everything has to be a walk in a fucking desert. Yeah. Scorsese. Yeah. That kind of fun, like it fills a very necessary role in life. And it's like, you know, and on a related note, you're an old grouch. So yeah. there's that. Yeah. So Ridley Scott. Uh, yeah. The the whole batch, Brian De Palma. I mean, the whole group, Francis Coppola, they're all old and grouchy. All old and grouchy. I love their movies and I respect what they've done, but they're all grouchy and, you know, they need to take a nap. Yeah. They do need to take a nap and then release some quotes about yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's like have a peanut butter sandwich and take a nap. I'm just putting it out there. Yeah. Um, so what what snub are we watching today? We're going to talk about Heat. Heat. Uh, 1995 Michael Mann film. And we are drinking um, the Camp Merlot. We're drinking a Merlot, which I feel like as we talked about in our earlier Batman podcast, has been a snubbed varietal. The Batman. It gets a bat. The Batman. Yes. Yeah. As a varietal, uh, the Merlot is uh, much treated like the tea in Merlot. It gets maligned, yes. Silent. Yes, that's exactly right. And the camp is, we drank earlier the Lacole Merlot from Washington State, which was a little more drier, a little more austere, I guess would be the word, a little leaner. Yeah. Had, well, uh, I would say a little beefier. Yeah. The camp is juicy. Very fruit forward. Yeah. Very jammy. Uh, every sip I take, I get a little bit more fruity. Yeah. 
we were talking about how it's like it's got a little bit of black current to it. You know, it's like it's got a little bit of jam. So to me, it's like you took like a, a spoonful of black like jam. and It reminds me of my days visiting the Amish. They would make some jams. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, we actually, we would, <laughs> we would summer in Missouri. Ooh. Um, and uh, there was a nice little Amish community near where we were. So we would go and get jellies and jams and really nice. Yeah. This reminds me of those days. Nice. Yeah. And, it, and it really kind of has that color to it if you look at it. It does. It's, it's very a, much uh, jammy. Very deep like, purple. Great. Yeah. Oh, it's a great band. <laughs> deep purple is a great band. Um, I was a Velvet Underground guy myself, but that's a, neither here nor there. Oh, well. <laughs> Your parents weren't as hippie as I was. <laughs> it's true. Um, but yeah, Camp Merlot. This is a 2019 from Sonoma County. Uh, very different animal from the coal, which is Washington State. So you can just kind of taste a different flavor. Same grape, but different regions. Two great grape. Grapes that taste grape together. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> um, so I've got some brief background on Heat. Heat. We will talk about. Great movie. One of my favorites. Oh, um, it's a tremendous movie. Yeah. Great cast. I mean, you got Pacino. Uh, you got... Um, De Niro. Yep. You got De Niro. Um, you got Val Kilmer. Yeah. And those are the three main casts, like the top billing. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to see Val Kilmer kind of sandwiched in the middle of those two. Yeah. So those were power players back then. Mm-hmm. And he was A-list at that point. You know, he'd already done Batman. Kilmer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of people said he should have been nominated for an Oscar for Tombstone. Yes. So uh, if you haven't seen Val, the documentary, highly recommend that. Great. I think that's one that we want to podcast on at some point. But It is on Hulu, last I checked. So... I would definitely look for it there. I think it's on Amazon Prime. Is it? I think so. I was thinking that. But yeah, definitely look both places. Great documentary. Tremendous. Yeah. Uh, self-published. Not yeah. self-published. Self-made. It's yeah. like an autobiographical documentary. He and his son, Jack. Yeah. Jack provides the voice. But he has a ton of footage from a bunch of movies. And one of them was Heat. And mm-hmm. him talking about the, the difference between his experience on Batman and then going over to Heat. Yeah. Sounds like he had a great experience on this movie. Yes. So... Yeah, you know, having a great script and great bringing, script, great, be, director, great director, being able to move around as opposed to, to <laughs> not the, being in a rubber suit. Yeah, where no one can hear you. Yeah, where you lose consciousness. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, I've heard more than one actor say you can't go to the bathroom. It's like you have to plan ahead. Yeah, so it's like going to see the Batman. You have yeah, plan ahead. <laughs> yeah, I've honestly heard that about wedding dresses, where it's like you know, it's like it's wearing those massive, huge wedding dresses. It's like you have to plan. Way ahead. That's why I never wear a wedding dress. Exactly. Just Same. sweatpants most of the time. <laughs> very casual. My wedding was very casual. So, <laughs> mm. so uh, Heat was directed by Michael Mann, who directed Last of the Mohicans with Daniel Day-Lewis. Yep. Um, he actually helped create Miami Vice, the TV show. Interesting. Yeah. And then directed the movie version of it with um, Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx, hmm. which was not great. Uh, How did he luck out with this movie and then with um, Daniel Day-Lewis? Like, that's a great slate of actors. Yeah. And then he did The Insider, which is a, also a very underrated movie uh, about the cigarette lawsuit. Like the, without Not to the, be confused with The Outsiders. Yes. <laughs> the opposite of that. Yes. Um, the Al Pacino was in that one as well. And uh, Russell Crowe, who put on a lot of weight to play the, the back part. And basically, sure, to play that part, <laughs> he was a because uh, he lost it again for a Gladiator. This is pre-Gladiator, 
he uh, plays a cigarette um, scientist, doctor or whatever, who is... <laughs> Please, I'm a cigarette doctor. <laughs> he is from one of the big tobacco people. He's like the scientist who is helping to basically, you find out, engineer the cigarettes to be more addictive. He's he's Doctor Spachemin from Thirty Rock. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, oh, I mean, like highly. No one really knows how cigarettes <laughs> work. I mean, it's he, healthy for you. He Does is it that, make you feel good? He is he is that guy until the conscious takes over. It's like he is basically engineered to make them even worse. Yikes! Yeah, and it's like that's his that's his whistleblower thing in the movie. He's like. You know, I was a scientist who was paid to introduce things that made these cigarettes even more addictive. Not only did they know they were addictive, but they wanted to make them more so. And not only did they want to make them more so, they wanted to target younger younger and younger people. So Hey kids, you know what's cool? Smoking. Yes. So and it's based completely on a true story. Like huh. he plays Oh, I fully believe it. Yeah. So uh, Insider is a great movie. Michael Mann directed that. Uh, that was his first movie, I believe, after this one was okay so i would recommend that one highly that's a great movie um this is a remake of a script that he did for a television movie called la takedown which was made into a pilot but never uh developed into a series Hmm. um obviously all-star cast as we're saying that the big deal was made about al pacino and robert de niro uh appearing together they were both in the godfather part two but they shared no scenes because uh, de niro was pacino's father in flashbacks he played the, the Godfather as a young man. So they had no scenes together. Uh, this is the first time you actually see them together on camera. Um, probably two of the very most decorated actors of the 20th century. Uh, great chemistry. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they were decorated actors in kind of the same... They were both um, late 90s, or not late 90s, but like late 20th century gangster movies. Icons. You know, and the gangster movie genre we've talked about has, you know, kind of gone the way of, or it went the way of, of superhero movies, yeah. right? It, it sort of became, westerns were a big thing, and then gangster movies were a big thing after that. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone was kind of like, oh, gangster movies, it's kind of like the cheap content. Yeah. They were the kings of gangster movies. Yeah. Right? Scarface, mm-hmm. Godfather, Serpico. I mean, Serpico. I mean, you had, and, you know, Goodfellas. The Irishman. Yeah. Um, Casino. Yeah. I mean, all we needed was Ray Liotta in this movie, and it's like, we're, <laughs> we're done. Yeah. He could have been the Val Kilmer. Yeah. Uh, he would have been a terrible in that role. Yeah. I remember the, the Roger Ebert review of this movie said that um, a lot of actors will base their performances on like real life criminals and cops, but De Niro, Pacino are so iconic that there are probably real life cops and criminals who base themselves on oh, them, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> on their that's movies. That's great, yeah. It's like, that's that's how big they are. Um, but the whole cast is amazing. I mean, you got Val Kilmer, Tom Sizemore. Ashley Judd, Danny Trejo. Yes. Very young. Danny Trejo. John Voight looking rough. Yep. (laughs) Um, That handlebar mustache though. Yeah. It's a good look. Oh yeah. I mean, it was very wild west. Yeah. Um, So this inspired a lot of true crime movies that came afterwards. You can tell how heavily influential this was. So many Netflix series, so many like things that you watch now that were based on this, including the Dark Knight trilogy. Well, what what was it about Heat that kind of, um, you know, it, what what was it about Heat that was like inspiring? Was was it the 
way that they portrayed the thieves or the um, the bad guys. I mean, there weren't bad guys, right? It was just... It was very blurry. Yeah, it was good guys that you sided with and bad guys that you sided with. I mean, it was... I mean, it you wanted very, them to succeed in the heist. I mean, to me, it was a prototype of The Departed where it showed them on the good guys and the bad guys or the cops and the thieves on parallel paths throughout the movie. Yeah. You could see them both kind of um, going through the same problems in their lives you know you would see like you know de niro dealing with like his relationship basically it's like i told my wife it's like both these guys are lousy spouses oh garbage and garbage people because they're essentially married to each other via their jobs Mm -hmm. you know it's like so you know de niro makes it explicit when he says like you cannot be attached to anything that you can't walk out on in 30 seconds and so that's a very like spiritually empty way to live. Well, and that's a theme that he plays on or points out multiple times in the movie. Yeah. You know, at the beginning you see him, um, you know, start, start to develop these attachments to a girl, but then you also see him live up to that credo at the end of the movie is yeah. he, he abandons her when he feels the heat around the corner. He lives it. Yeah. And, but Pacino also lives it. It's like anytime he's with his wife, his third wife. Yeah. His third wife. And, and the phone rings, the beeper goes off. He's gone. You know, in, in the most, Oh, fucking, uh, Natalie Portman's in this movie. Mm-hmm. When she has a suicide attempt, they're in the hospital and his fucking beeper goes off. Yeah. What does he do? He leaves. He runs off like uh, worst stepdad in the world. Yeah. But great cop. Yeah. Great cop. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, and not only that, but like once De Niro and John Wood discover that's he's the one hunting him down, it's like that's why you should be afraid of him. Yeah, he's like, I don't, I don't think this guy spends much time at home. He just is constantly chasing after the bad guys. Yeah. But he, um, you know, also gets a little bit of insight into his level of respect for him. You know, he he gets some like, oh yeah, this guy like talks you up all the time. Yeah. Like he's, he's talking about like, he has a lot of respect for you. He says like, this guy's good. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's idolizing you. You see some of the camaraderie between them, even if they don't have that direct camaraderie, except you do, you get to see him, he pulls him over mm-hmm. and then they go and get coffee. Yeah. Which is one cute, of the most, cute I, date. that's the iconic scene in the movie. That spot in that restaurant in LA is now a tourist spot. In that diner. Why? Just because of heat? Because those two actors sat there. Literally everybody who goes to that diner wants to sit at that exact same table. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. No. I know I don't either. But it's <laughs> like they have pictures of them plastered all over the, the restaurant now. I mean, I would too. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it does have that kind of historical like trivia of like this is the first time the Nero Pacino filmed the scene. Shit, you also have the Allstate guy. <laughs> we talked about that too, my wife and I, where it's like, you know, where he's first going to get his job. It's like, man, I hope he's in good hands. I hope he's in good hands. <laughs> it's like, man, what a great voice. How could you not hire somebody with that voice? You know? Uh, yeah. Are you in good hands? Well, and I think that movie was, it, that part of the movie is also commenting on, um, you know, the trap basically of if you are a con, you can't get a job that's going to pay a living wage. You can't get a job that's actually going to treat you. You well. have to steal. You have to steal. You have to stay in a criminal lifestyle. Yeah. You're forced to to live that lifestyle just to survive. If you have any dreams or ambitions, you have to steal. Yeah. You, you know? have to be forced to be the driver for a, uh, a getaway of a bank crime. You know, it's like, yeah. 
And you look at De Niro, who wants to get away with somebody. His dream is to have somebody to go away to with. To go to New Zealand. And see algae. Interesting choice. <laughs> yes. But it's like, he to do that, he has to steal. Yeah. You know, he, ha- he cannot walk away. He is the classic, and I hate to say it's a cliche because I love this movie and I hate to use the word cliche, but it's like, he is the classic, like, one last job guy of, yes. like, one more job and I'm done. Well, and I feel like this movie is what created the one last job uh, trope. It definitely pushed it further. Yeah. yeah. I, I think this was, like, the... I keep trying to get out and they just keep pulling me back in, which is Pacino. Pacino and which Godfather. Is, yeah. Yeah. yeah you know. diff, different Pacino movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, you know. it's that trap. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like also it's like, yeah, this movie, it has the cliches, but it's like, it's tough to say whether it, it invented the cliches or it's like it takes earlier cliches and pushes them further. Right. You know. How fresh was this in 95? You know? I would say because I saw this in the theater, believe it or not. I was five years old. <laughs> you, were five, you were very young. And I was too young to see it. It was R-rated. I was too young to see it yeah. at the time. I was underage. But, you know, I had the theater in Sand Springs, the Cinemark 8, where they let me in all the time from, like, being very, very young. So my mom would go shopping and drop me off, and I would go see whatever at that's, whatever that's age. awesome. Yeah, it was great. Although I remember distinctly telling her once she picked me up from this theater. Like, I liked heat. You missed a good movie. It's like that was badass. It's like three hours long. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine me as a five-year-old. I, I would not have. That would be tough as a five-year-old, yeah. especially all the people who get shot in the head. I was really big into <laughs> Power Rangers. <laughs> um, I tell you what, uh, Al Pacino at no point morphs into a Power Ranger, which would have made this movie so much better. Morph in time. I gave it five stars. I'd give it six if he turns into a power Fuck ranger. Yeah. <laughs> At one point, fucking De Niro calls his Zord, and then they're just storming the bank. It's like, suppose you do got me boxed in. I got to turn into a power ranger. Yeah, I got to call him a fucking Zord. I got to be the super duper VR warriors. They weren't obnoxiously Italian. I no. appreciated that. They were they were very much like grounded characters. Yeah, and that, that what you heard in that impression was me doing very doing bad. bad De Niro. Yeah, which my bad De Niro. Well, but De Niro, you know, it's, it's like you know, hey, I, I wish I could do a better Pacino too. It's like where he again, we've talked about it. When you watch this movie, he literally hangs up on everybody he talks to on the on his <laughs> cell phone. Just violently folds his phone in half. On his Motorola flip phone, he literally like will end a sentence and then hang up without saying goodbye. And I love it, and I wish I had the balls to do that. I, I am going to unapologetically impersonate Al Pacino <laughs> in the best scene in this movie because she had a grimace. <laughs> you had your head all the oh, way up, up it. Um, that scene, so that's with Hank Azaria. When you go back and watch the movie, uh, Hank Azaria is the guy that Ashley Judd is cheating on. She's married to Val she's Kilmer. She's married to Val Kilmer, and, and she's cheating. cheating on him with a fucking car salesman or like a... Yeah, he's, or no, he's a, he's a liquor wholesaler. Sure. And, and he's smuggling cigarettes. That's why they're... Liquor in, wholesaler out of Vegas. Yeah. And so Pacino improvised saying, oh, she got a great ass. And supposedly Hank Azaria's reaction is real from like, what the fuck is Because this? that was an improv line. Yeah. It is so Which is awesome. Like the most iconic line. And it's Pacino in 100% full Pacino. I think this might be the best Pacino movie. It's up there for sure. I mean, Godfather's so good. Yeah. But 
Scarface, amazing. And you could argue that Godfather is first and foremost a Marlon Brando movie. Yes. I mean, obviously Pacino is huge, and Godfather 2 is a Al Pacino movie. Do you think uh, Marlon Brando actually memorized his lines for Godfather, or did he no. read them off of a He did not. No, what he did, and there are pictures of it you can Google, uh, Robert Duvall had his lines taped to his uh, suit. So he's reading off of like Robert Duvall's Cumberbund or whatever. Tremendous. There were actual Google images of that. That's amazing. Because I, uh, if you don't know, Marlon Brando is the laziest actor in the world. Yeah. Uh, props to him. But I mean, he really is. It's like what's Doc Ock was like brilliant but lazy. Yes. You know, it's like he he was somebody who was so amazing he could step back and rest on his laurels because it's like literally he was reading his lines. He won the Academy Award for that. Uh, for more behind-the-scenes images of Marlon Brando, watch Val again. Yeah. Oh, my God. And that was such a sad sequence where Val... It's like what they say, never meet your heroes. Yeah. Val is working... Uh, Val Kilmer's working on the island of Dr. Moreau uh-huh. with Marlon Brando. And you see Marlon Brando swinging in a hammock. Give me a push. I mean, it's a very job of the hut like I mean, he is a <laughs> lifeless individual swinging in this... And, you know... Kilmer hypes him up as the great man. He's and like, he's, I'm so honored to be working with Marlon Brando. It's like he's going to go ask the guru, like the all-time greatest, maybe the greatest actor of the 20th century, a question. Eh. I mean, I, w- I would say, honestly, uh, Brando is the greatest f- movie actor of the 20th century. Doesn't even memorize lines. Doesn't memorize his lines. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's well, like how Sha- Shaquille O'Neal would show up 40 pounds overweight and then score 30 points and get 18 rebounds in a game, you know, and win the yeah, MVP. That's fair, yeah. You know, or it's like how Mickey Mantle would show up for the Yankees and hit a home run one-handed, you know. It's like it's almost a frustrating level of greatness. That's it's fair. like, yeah. you know, the or Brando shows up and reads his lines off of, like, Robert Duvall's crotch and wins the Oscar <laughs> and then turns it down. And that's his second Oscar. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's power like, move. What yeah. power move? It's like Michael Jordan when somebody was daring him that he couldn't make free throws, and he starts shooting them with his eyes closed and making them. Yep. You know, so it's like that's that's what you're dealing with on that level. Damn. Jack Nicholson once said that um, the joke was he lived on a street with Warren Beatty and a bunch of other famous people, including Jack, uh, including uh, Marlon Brando. His thing was like, when Brando dies, we all move up a notch as actors. Yeah. It's like that's how much respect was paid to Brando as an actor. He was like the greatest movie actor who's ever lived. As weird as he was, you know, he's one of those people who his weirdness almost overshines, outshines his genius. Yeah. Um, but before, where were we before I got off on that tangent? Uh, we were talking about Val Kilmer. Mm-hmm. And meeting him and meeting where it's him. like, yep. and approaching him and being in awe of him. Yeah. And it's like where Brando's like, you know, oh, after all that hype, Brando's like, give me a push, please. Yeah, give me a push. <laughs> it's like such a letdown. Uh, but yeah, we were talking about uh, Pacino working in, I don't know. Yeah, we were talking about something. It's like, um, but this... So, back to the original point. This is a very influential movie. It inspired the Dark Knight trilogy. Christopher Nolan had his like cast and crew watch Heat. This is a beautifully shot movie. Yeah. I mean, just just very well done. It's very edgy. For it, 95, this aged very well. Yes, it does. Um, I'm watching it now. It's like the scenes that were shot at night were really shot at night. They looked like they were shot at night. Even up to that point, it was common to shoot scenes at night during the day. 
you would commonly see movie she- movies being shot uh, during the day, and then they would turn the contrast up and make it look like night, make it look like a full moon or whatever. But these scenes were legitimately shot at night. So, so between Al Pacino and De Niro, who do you think had the better performance? They're honestly, I think, neck and neck. They do such a great... They're very, very different. They really do. They, they just are so well-matched. Uh, De Niro is very much, like, buttoned down, uh, very uh, controlled, mannered. The, the, somebody pointed out that there's so many little details in this movie of how De Niro's uh, clothes are always perfectly ironed, perfectly starched, because he spent a long time in prison. He did a long stretch of prison, and so in there he wanted to be a good inmate. And so he always showcased how clean his clothes were for to be like on good behavior. And so now he kept that habit as a citizen. And so his clothes are always perfectly ironed and perfectly starched. I was really impressed, like not impressed. I was really um, struck by how young he looked. Yeah. I mean, Pacino has definitely aged since then, mm-hmm. but he already had like a little bit of a grizzled like look. Yeah. Like De Niro he looked really young in this movie. He like did. He, he looked really spelt and like... They're roughly the same age, with too. It. Yeah. And so I, I thought that was really striking was like um, just looking... I mean, granted, 25 years ago, 27 years ago now. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, crazy to think about like how much time has passed, but like um, just think about the Irishman with De Niro. He looks much different now. Yeah. So when so they de-aged older. him for the Irishman... Uh, you know, I, I think they should have pulled from heat Yes, for, for their mm-hmm. inspo rather yes. than doing whatever they did. Because it's like it's, watching the Irishman, it was like he looked, even when they de-aged him, he looked like... He looked a, like an old man with a mask. Like an 80-year-old man walking. Like he, he walked very stiffly. Because he is. Yeah. He is an old man walking. And it's like they could have like fixed that. But like you say, basing on where they're very, he's very agile in this movie. Oh, he's very agile. Yeah, yeah. he's spry. They have very long chase scenes. Supposedly on the, foot, no less. Yeah, the bank robbery, which is the centerpiece of the movie. Um, the climax. A, the real life, uh, a real life bank robbing group tried to duplicate this scene, and I believe it was Los Angeles. Did they really? Not only that, but the scene of the the robbers like retreating has been used as a training tool for military units on how to tactically retreat from a gunfight. Huh. It's so like that they, they do such a good job of tactically retreating that, that that has been a training video. Well and there's so much accuracy in it. I mean the they have like bulletproof vests, they have multiple magazines like stacked into their vests. Mm-hmm. Like they, they don't skimp on details. Like yeah. they did such a good job of this movie like showcasing not showcasing but like using real inspiration for how they were doing it. I, I think that was a really impressive piece of the movie. You'll see both characters on both sides where they will do something you never see in movies where they will literally open up the chamber of their pistols and make sure that there is a bullet loaded into the barrel yeah. before any sort of a situation comes up. You don't see characters do that where it's like, you. I mean, if you know about guns, you don't necessarily know that there's a round ready to go unless you check and see. Yeah. And so you will see people like Robert De Niro literally check their, the chamber of their gun to make sure that they're ready to go before they get into a gunfight. There's little details like that that it's like you can tell that they probably interviewed real people about it or it's like they did their proper research and made sure like they look like actual 
people in those situations. And that seems like something that the director would have like dictated is, you know, this is something you're going to do because you're familiar with guns and you. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just like the starch collars, you know, where it's like they figured out like, you know, De Niro's character would always be perfectly starched, you know, because he doesn't want to, you know, it's like, this is the habit. You don't want to get in trouble with like the guards or whatever in prison. So his clothes are always immaculate. You know, one thing that kind of bugs me about this movie, you don't see what happens to Val Kilmer's character. Yeah. You know he gets away, mm-hmm. but you don't see where he ends up. Yeah. And I, I kind of wanted to see, like, the uh, Zuatanejo, like, or him he, on a beach somewhere, like, safe and sound. I'm going to guess he doesn't get away safe and sound, knowing, like... But that's the thing. We don't know. We don't know. I, I'd like it to see It does leave that, that, you know? I'm going to guess, I mean, just based on how they establish a character, like, that he is his own worst enemy, he gets killed somewhere. Yeah. You know, that he doesn't make it out. And but I, he cut his hair and he dyed it. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, yeah, they go to, like, I think it's a vet or whatever, or, like, a cut-rate, like, voodoo doctor to get him, like, his bullet wound taken care of. Yeah. Uh, which was Jeremy Piven. Yeah. Playing that role. Yes. It's crazy, like, the amount of people that show up that are, like, famous now that are just in bit yeah. roles throughout this. Um, including uh, William Fichter, who plays in The Dark Knight, the bank uh, president or whatever. They cast him because he was in this movie as the uh, like the offshore drug guy that they try to rip off. Oh yeah, 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 yep. That specifically because the, he was the fans aunt. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they they it's amazing the number of people that are famous that started in this movie that you see. It really is. Um, so you said it was replicated by like a real life bank. Yeah. Heist. Yeah. Job. About five or six years later, they were like a group that tried to do like the heat bank robbery i mean it, it that's the thing is like this movie seemed like they were a little bit too authentic like you could replicate some of this shit yeah like you could you could really knock off a uh fucking armored truck yeah. ba- with bear bonds like 1.3 million dollars of bear bonds it was too real because it's like uh, my wife and i watched the movie it was too legit to quit <laughs> hey 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 uh, we watched a movie called The China Syndrome, which involves a uh, nuclear meltdown. Uh, it came out in the 70s. And it's one of those, it's a great movie with uh, Jane Fonda, Jack Lemmon, Michael Douglas. And um, it's like this news crew goes to film like this puff piece about a nuclear plant and how great it is. But then they end up accidentally filming a, filming a meltdown at the core. They don't, you know, like the guy keeps his camera rolling while the thing goes to hell. And supposedly in the movie it's like there's a, a one of the instruments gets stuck at a certain reading and they don't realize that the needle is stuck that's the only reason it's happening and so they react as though the, the needle is stuck at this certain reading and so they drain all the water or whatever which means they would have uncovered the core it would have been like a chernobyl situation yeah and so they get done and then they go to the people afterwards the producers like like the real people at whatever reactor like how did you know about that it was someplace in the midwest like, <laughs> so that really happened somewhere. Oh, yeah. like, How did you hear about that? So that kind of strikes me as heat where it's like, it's so accurate. It's like, you got to wonder, it's like, there are, are people watching the like, you, you can knock on the door from the FBI. Just like, how, how, how did you, did you know, how did you about, know that? about that? Yeah. It's like so real life and it feels like it watching it. Yeah. It has a very, you are there quality to it. Yeah. The details that are put into it, like how they go about the process, how they plan these heists, how they're looking and doing stuff. You know, getting the the electrical engineering like diagrams of the bank and like how you can cut the uh, you know cut the alarms, the cameras, and 
you know, being able to drill up and underneath stuff and have the cement. Yeah, like you said, it's, it's oh, amazing. Oh, it's, it's just protected by like one layer of cement. Yeah. Like you just got, oh, just easily cut that and then you're done. This yeah. movie had a lot of the feel of like, oh, if you dress up in like a, um, you know, construction worker costume and like hold a clipboard, mm-hmm. you can get anywhere. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or in the beginning, it's like dress up as a uh, paramedic, you know, just walk through a hospital. It's like you can steal an ambulance. Yeah, absolutely. I loved the scene where they were just like in the middle of a like uh, industrial area and just like pointing around because they knew that the cops were following them. Yeah, and they had the uh, the mics on them, and they came down. They're like, "What were they looking at?" Well, if you look, there's nothing over there. There's nothing over there. What are they looking at? Yeah, what are they looking at? Oh, I'll tell you what they're looking at. (laughs) I'll tell you what they're looking at. We just I'll got tell you what they're looking at. They're looking at us. Yeah. They're looking at us, the LAPD. Have a good look. <laughs> Such a great scene. Yeah. It's like it's a good scene. It's like Pacino, like, and in that moment, De Niro realizes Pacino is like on his level. Mm-hmm. Like he just caught on what was going on. Yeah. You know, it's like how fast he is. So it's like they're very much on the same it, level. It, the cat and mouse game between Pacino and De Niro is tremendous. Yeah. And it's like it and it culminates in the end where it's like, you know it's very appropriate that Pacino more so than either of the spouses or whatever. It's like they're there for each other at the end. Well, ultimately De Niro was caught by his own hubris of like, he couldn't, he would have gotten away if he hadn't taken the bait of killing the snitch. Yeah. Right. Pride. Yeah. It was, it was his own, like he, I just can't do it. I got to kill him. Yeah. I got to kill him. And he turns around and he goes, he's like, we're taking one quick detour. Yeah. It's bugging him, you know, and he could have gotten away he, with his lady he friend. Had, he had a clean getaway. He could have had everything he wanted. But, yeah, I mean, it was like he couldn't let the idea of somebody thinking they got the better of him out there. And this felt like, to me, it was one of those things of, like, the director wouldn't let the, the bad guy get away scot-free. Yeah. Like he had to, had to have him lose mm-hmm. to, to have the movie conclude right. Yeah. But it also kind of fits that, you know, like, the idea of he is on the Alamo. It's like he's going to go down with that mythology of like, you know, I, I'm not going to be taken alive. I'm not going to go back to jail and I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be the guy that goes down with the ship basically, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's like he, you know, he pulls that heist, he pulls one last heist and he is basically too proud to ever admit that that was the wrong decision. And he goes down with that decision at the end. Yeah. So, well, and it, it was, he was ready to cut and run, but he left it up to his crew and his crew voted to, to keep going. So I, I really think he was beholden to his crew and he was doing it on his crew's behalf. Either that, or he let them make a decision he wanted to make too, to take yes. the heat off of him. But, but his downfall ultimately was <laughs> just his decision to take down the snitch. Yeah. So. Yeah, who was a creepy dude in the movie. He was a creepy dude. They they kind of threw in like a serial killer storyline and they never never resolved it. They didn't develop that. That's one of the few, like uh, of a three-hour movie, that's one of the few strands they didn't really... Which is weird to have in a three-hour movie to not have resolution on. Yeah, everything else they do a pretty good job of tidying up at the end. The only thing I can think is they were trying to show Pacino's character have like empathy. Yeah. And show him like hugging the mom of the, the victim and be like, it's, it's all right. It's okay. It's, and how rough it is for him. Yeah. Cause he's having to deal with these travesties day in, day out and show like how tortured he is as a major crimes detective. And then come home. Yeah. 
to a wife who doesn't understand, basically. Yeah. Who can't understand. But again, it's like... His third wife. Yes. Who didn't understand. <laughs> exactly. And it shows, again... Surely by it. the third time, he would have some way to communicate, like, how shitty of a husband he is, right? Yeah. Or realize he shouldn't get married again in the first hey, place. Don't fucking get married. Yeah. It's like you are married to your job. Yes. That's a cliche, but literally you need to be married to your job. Yeah. You know, you get the call in the morning and you work until three or four at night. That's your job. That's your life. That is your spouse. So where do you rate heat? One out of five. One, it's a five. Five? Yeah. Strong. Yeah. That that's this is an all time movie for me. Yeah. Heat's a five. Yeah. For me. It's it's a it's a ten, one to ten. You know, this is a movie that other movies want to be like. You know? Yeah. I, like, uh, this is the movie that every like heist movie aspires to be. Um the only other movie that I would think uh, comps to Heat would be Baby Driver. Yeah. And I don't know if you loved Baby Driver as much as I did, but that movie's a five for me. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It definitely was. Um, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed the performances in it. Um, that was Kevin Spacey, right? Kevin Spacey, yeah. Well, which I mean, doesn't age well. But, himself, but Edgar Wright as the director. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, it was, a, I mean, very clever, very fast-moving story. Um Great soundtrack. Yeah. Um, very well put together chases, all that. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed it. I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as Heat. It's tough for me to find any like crime-related thriller that I enjoyed as much as this movie. Yeah. I've seen it so many times. Well, there's a lot of heist movies, um, so there's a lot to, to comp to. But I, I feel like um, Baby Driver is to Heat as 310 to Yuma is to like... Um, you know, like a, an old school Western. Maybe like Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood. Yeah, like an old school Clint Eastwood. Like it's it's a genre that the heist movie existed so heavily in the 90s that to see it perfected and done well and kind of like uh, boiled down to its essence in the 2010s mm-hmm. is a, a completely different animal than seeing it when there were so many other competitors at the time. Yeah. So Heat is the best of the best because it was the best movie to stand out at the time that there were so many others to compete with. Yeah. Um, but to see it redone well in like a more, more common era. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to compare to. I mean, it, it gives you that kind of comfort of it. It can still be done. Yeah. 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 And so I think can take something that was done so long ago and still do it. Yeah. You know, it's like licorice pizza, which licorice pizza is a play on uh, American graffiti, which was George Lucas's first big movie. So it's like it's that idea of that you can do. THX 1138 was his first movie. I'd say it it was his first movie for sure. Um, That wasn't the first movie that really, uh, American Graffiti Graffiti really took him to the mainstream. It was his first big, wide release movie. You sure? You sure it wasn't Star Wars? (laughs) Star Wars definitely was next level. (laughs) Um, But I would say George Lucas was famous before Star Wars. At least his American Graffiti was for sure. So it definitely wasn't around back then. So no, nor was I, but it was definitely a big hit, and it, it introduced like Harrison Ford, Richard Dreyfuss before Jaws, or or Harrison Ford before Star Wars. Like it introduced a lot of famous people before they got really, really famous. Yeah. So, um, but that's a whole other podcast about like what, who, like you could do like, you know, like for example, Steve Stewart had Sugarland Express, which is a great movie that he did before Jaws. And then THX was great before 
American Graffiti, but it's like, or Mean Streets was good before Taxi Driver, but it's like, were these movies worthy of being like the first great movie, or did they just kind of like set the way for better movies for these, yeah, the, these directors? And we could do that at a later podcast for sure. Yeah, that's a whole other series, a whole other can of worms. Yeah, um, like for example, Paul Thomas Anderson did Hard Eight before Boogie Nights. It's like, and that's a great movie, but how many people have seen it? So we we can go back to that for sure. Um, but this has been another episode of Cinema Vino, um, talking about Heat, Heat, an all-time classic movie from the mid '90s. Um, it is, I believe, available on HBO Max. Is that right? No, I think I had to. I had to rent it on Apple Plus. Hmm, interesting. Um, yeah, we, we'll do some research and see if that's out there anywhere. And if it is, I'll tag it on our websites. Um. But the next movie, Rounders, is for sure HBO Max. Definitely on HBO Max, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, Sean Jordan, thank you very much. Absolutely. Pleasure it, to be here. It was a good time. Uh, Camp Merlot was our vino for this time. This wine had a great ass. You got your head all the way up it. <laughs> and uh, previously, LaCole Merlot, Washington State. There, Cole. Hoo-ah. That's just my little bit of... I think both characters were Marines in this movie, right? I think so. They're both military for sure. Yeah, you former, just... former Marines. Because I think uh, one was mentioned as being a Marine and the other had the, the Marine emblem on his shoulder. Yeah. Emblem? Pacino, yeah. Insignia, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, both very much like exacting in what they did. Very detail-oriented yeah. on both sides of the, of the coin. Anyway, so hoo-ah. Hoo-ah. Uh, next time we're going to do Rounders, another movie that a great movie got no nominations. Great movie. Oh, wait. <laughs> and we'll be doing a lot of Malkovich during that. Yes, we will. A lot of Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. Um, but this has been another episode of Cinema Vino, and we will see you guys real soon. Be sure to listen, rate, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our website is at cinemavino.net, and reviews of these movies can be found at toddwaffordmovies.com. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.